0: Go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Hebrews 12. Hebrews 12. I'll try to get situated here. You know, history is important. Uh, not just history as far as your nation and everything, history as far as what you believe. Uh, and, and the Bible gives a lot of that history. Uh, but Like Pastor's been talking about, there's a lot of history in being a Baptist and what a Baptist is. It has nothing to do with today's lesson. I'm just giving you this for free. Uh, But Baptist history or just history on how how we got this. And it's something that we should be reading and knowing about to realize the cost this book costs. To have in your hand that we can go and buy every day. If you read, if you have never read Fox's Book of Martyrs, please do do so. Read one or two of the excerpts in it. It doesn't take very long for you to realize what would it cost me to have this? What what would I be willing to give up? To sacrifice? To what cost am I saying it's okay that they take away my Bible? In that book, in the history of the church, in the history of Baptists, in the history of just Christianity, it cost a lot of lives, and it cost a lot of blood. And we should be able to know that, because knowing that means it means something to you. Yes, this is God's word, and it should mean just enough, uh, just off of that. But the fact that the, the road for me to have this Bible, to hold this Bible in your hand... Is paved in blood. It wasn't paved in gold. It wasn't paved by just a printing press. A lot of people died for this. And if, if you don't know that, if you don't know the history of not the writing of the Bible, but just of you being able to get a copy of it, you need to read it. You need to know it. You need to know what that took. Because if you know what it took, you'll, you'll stick with it a lot more. It'll mean more to you. It'll be more precious to you realizing there's something different about this book than any other book, and it should mean something different. But anyway, sorry. <clears throat> I already lost all the time. All right, we're done. Have, have, no. All right, so we're going to start a new series. Uh, and, and you're there in Hebrews chapter 12. We're going to be talking about considering. Consider. Yeah, all throughout the week, you have considered things. Uh, be it family, friends, uh, people's ideas, uh, choices that you've made—you've all considered things. And, and everybody fights for that uh, space in your mind. Basically, they—they want to. You know, when when politicians try to run for governor or anything, they want to f- find the space in your mind to for you to consider them, and they go at great lengths to our annoyance to make sure you consider them. To they go you know, talk about their policies and who their running mates are and their past accomplishments. And they do it through, you know, TV, uh, ads, uh, uh, Facebook, uh, social media, phone calls, knocking on your door, mail. And it's annoying. And a lot of times we always get annoyed at, man, okay, just tell me who you are and stuff, and that's it. Don't, don't continue to barrage me. But that they know that... <clears throat> the space in your mind for you to consider them is important. Uh, it, it means everything to them as a politician. If you don't consider me to be the next president of the United States, then I'm doing it for nothing, and it means nothing. And, and I know that to get that space in your mind, I have to fight for it. But sadly, uh, uh, we have somebody, a person, That should be the easiest person to be considered. And you're there in chapter 12. Look at start verse 2. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. And here's the key. For consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds. This whole series is, is going to be called Consider Christ. And in your day, and your week, and in everything you do, how much space does Christ have in your mind? How much consideration do you give the one that should be the preeminent, the one that should be the focus, that should always be in our forefront, in the, the mind of everyday consideration? And so easily, he's the first one to go. In our days, I mean you, you get busy at work uh, I, I you know I, I work on appliances as i 'm working on a fridge or something i 'm very easily not considering Christ now you might think, okay well what, what does Christ have to do with a, a fridge or painting or gas? Christ should be the focus and should be incorporated in our everyday life it, whether whatever you do for a living, yes, it may not be. A scripture verse for figuring out why Bill's refrigerator isn't working. Amen. But you, you can have strength and power from the word of God to give you the strength and clarity of mind to be able to do your job. Like I said, we, when we consider everything that we deal with every day, our mind gets pretty jumbled up. Uh, there's a lot of stuff in your mind and you get bombarded with a bunch of stuff but the Word of God is able to clear that out. The Word of God is able to make a foundation to be able to build things in your mind. So this this series we're going to be looking at is uh, like the characteristics of Christ, his attributes, uh, or as well as his actions and what he's done for us. Is this whole series on considering Christ, and today we're going to look at specifically who is Jesus. Now, if I ask you that, you get a lot of, lot of answers, but how many people have really thought about who, what makes Jesus, who, who makes up Jesus, who is Jesus? And we're going to look at some things of, of what to consider about him. Let's pray and we'll get into the lesson. Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you so much for this morning, for being able to be in your house, to be able to open your word, Lord, and be able to Uh, know more about you and learn more about you Uh, father i pray that we uh, leave not the same way we came in Uh, or change our hearts and our attitudes and our our minds about what uh, your word says Uh, not just about anything but about you Uh, i pray that you give me the strength give me the the spirit the the words to say uh, to be able to please you and glorify your name In Jesus' name I pray, amen. First thing I want to look at is consider his position. Uh, Look at verse 2 again. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. In 2007, I'll read this because I don't always get these numbers right. The Ten Commandment uh, animated film came out, I guess. And Kelton Research surveyed 1,000 people to discover how much Americans knew about the Ten Commandments. Uh, in that survey, they, they did more than just Ten Commandment questions. They did just American life, but also had in there questions about the Ten Commandments. Eighty percent of those surveyed knew that a Big Mac from McDonald's had two all-beef patties. I question the all-beef part, but we'll, we'll leave that one out. But 80 percent knew that. 62 <clears> percent <throat> knew that it had pickles. Only 34% knew that remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy is one of the Ten Commandments. Less than 30% knew that one of the commandments was not to make any graven image. In this study, which contained various other questions, concluded that Americans know more about fast food than about the Ten Commandments. And the sad thing is, the Ten Commandments are one of those things you learn back in Sunday school. It wasn't something that you, you have to wait or, you know, it's the deep stuff that you wait until you get into your adult life. And then, oh, okay, now I, this is the Ten Commandments. And that was 2007. I'd hate to see if they try to do it today. How little people know about the Word of God, and yet we're very, we're very versed in everything out there. Sports, food, fast food places. What, what's on fast food stuff? What's in certain coffee houses versus what's in this book? So I want to look at, as we consider his position, uh, first thing we, we need to realize is he's the preeminent one. Uh, he is one above all others and consistently worthy of our consideration. The scripture that we have here, verse Two says that looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Author. It wasn't like he just stumbled upon our faith. It wasn't like he, he just happened to already have that faith already happening and he just bought into it and thought it was a good idea. He started it. The author. When you talk about an author, it's not somebody that starts something. It's the person that wrote it that had everything all in his mind, every, all, everything about our faith, he came up with. It was his. His faith, you could say, is what created our faith. He's the author. Acts 5.30 says, The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom ye slew and hanged on a tree. Him hath God exalted with his right hand to be a prince and a savior, for to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. Colossians 1.16. For by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him. And he is before all things, and by him all things consist. And he is the head of the body, the church who is the beginning, the firstborn of, from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. The first thing we have to consider is he's a preeminent one. He, he should be the one that should be easily, like I said, the most important person that we consider. His word should be the first thing that we consider throughout our day. Revelation 1.8 says, I am the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end saith the Lord, which is and which was and which is to come, the Almighty. Jesus Christ is the preeminent one and that should by itself give enough reason why we should have him considered and be in our mind all the day long. Not to spoil Brian's next series, but in the Bible, there are a total of 256. Remember that, so you make sure it's going to be a long series. Uh, names of God uh, of uh, throughout the Bible, there are two hundred fifty six names mentioned to give to God. Like I said, that's that's a lot of weeks, Brian. That's a we're going to be here for a while for his next series. But throughout all those uh, different uh, names, they're all dealing with how preeminent He is. the 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 fact that verse uh, 2 at the end, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. He doesn't sit down next to God. He doesn't sit at the bottom of God's feet. He's on the throne. And because of that, he, he's the preeminent one. And, and we, we allow, which is crazy to think that we would have to allow Christ to be in that position in our lives, but we have that choice. God gives us that choice and that option. But as His children, that shouldn't be difficult. But not only is He the preeminent one, He's a perfect one. Kind of goes without saying. Uh, he alone is perfect. He alone is the only one that came into the world, was born, lived a life sinless, and completed all the law. He alone uh, is the f- both the author and finisher of our faith. Philippians 1.6 says, Being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Because he's the author and finisher of our faith, we should be able to have the faith in him that whatever we're going through, whatever he puts us through, He's going to see us through it. We don't have some hope in somebody that is struggling with us, is struggling trying to get through the same thing we're trying to get through. We have a a high priest, as the Bible says, that knows our infirmities, that knows the things that we go through, but has finished the course. If I'm going to run a race... I'm not going to talk to somebody else that's trying to figure out how to run a marathon. I'm going to talk to all those that have finished marathons and what they did to be able to finish those marathons. That's that's who we have here. We have the person of Jesus Christ that has finished the course, that has finished the faith, and that should be somebody that we should be considering and going to to find out how do you how did you finish this? How how do I finish this? And try to work on assimilating or or trying to uh, uh, be as close likely to the one that has finished. For the moment you got saved, you're filled with the Spirit. You 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 get the Holy Spirit, and throughout your life, that Holy Spirit is trying to make you into the image of God. That's, the, that's what sanctification is. That, that's, that's why the idea and the need of growing is growing closer and more like Christ. It, and, and to do that, we have to realize, why would you try to become somebody or, or be more like somebody that isn't perfect, that, that didn't finish well? No, he, he, he's the perfect one. He's the preeminent one. He's the one that was able to do it all perfectly. And because of that, we should have faith and have trust and hope that who I'm trying to become like is somebody that finished. It wasn't somebody that failed. It wasn't somebody that wasn't able to get to the finish line or understand how to do this, but somebody that has done it. Next thing is, his ways are perfect. Uh, a lot of times we go through trials. We go through struggles, be it health or uh, financial or be what it may, but we have to understand that his ways are perfect. We may not understand it, and most of the time we don't understand it. Uh, uh, Job, when, he got, when one by one the servants came and told him the bad news, he didn't automatically go, oh, I get it. I understand what's going on here. No, he had to have faith that God's ways are perfect. God's ways are above man's ways. Uh, Deuteronomy 32.4 says, He is the rock. He, his work is perfect, for all his ways are judgment, and God, a God of truth and without iniquity, just and right is he. Psalms 18.30 says, As for God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord is tried. He is a buckler to all those that trust in him. For who is God save the Lord? Or who is a rock save our God? It is God that girdeth me with strength and maketh my way perfect. No matter what you're going through, the fact that we have somebody that has finished the course, somebody that is preeminent, perfect, and his way is perfect, We should take strength and hope and and realize that what we're dealing with, God's doing for a purpose. I I don't believe you go through anything in life without God knowing and allowing it. God allows whatever trials come in in your way. And what was the point of trials? There's always a point to them. It's not just to get over whatever sickness. It's not just to get over whatever the problem is, and just continue moving on. It's to grow. It's to become closer to God. You you go to anywhere, any hospital, the Christians that are going through whatever they're going through should, sadly I don't think it's, I can say all are, but they should be growing closer to God. They should be understanding and trying to get closer to the one that can save them, the one that can heal them, the one that can get them through it. He's working to bring his will into your life through our trials and tribulations. That's why we go through those things and to continue to work in those issues. Uh, the the verse, uh, I can't remember what it was. I didn't write it down. He that hath begun a good work in you, will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. We should take strength in that. that. That he's going to just, not just start us in the issue, not just start us down a trial, but he's going to be with us and get us through that trial to the end. Whatever end that might be. But he's going to be with us. So we, we considered his position, the preeminent one, the perfect one. The next thing we need to consider is his pattern. Okay, being the perfect one, being the one that was able to author and finish our faith. Obviously, we should see what patterning he has taken to finish. And how was he able to do that? According to the text there, uh, verse 2, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross despising the shame from the very beginning of his earthly ministry we see his whole point and what he had to endure to get to the cross Uh, walking through victory in each and every one of those trials walking through victory through every single temptation turn to Matthew 4 uh, and we see here probably the best example of of dealing with with temptation and being able to overcome temptation. Uh, Many of us at some point have made spiritual goals. I want to read my Bible the entire thing in a year. Uh, I want to, you know, uh, have devotions every day. We set goals. We just had January 1st, and everybody made goals of losing weight and everything, and most people at the gyms already stopped going uh, now that we're getting into February. Close. That's that's how it always goes. But we always think about goals of you know I'm going to make myself better. Spiritual goals are probably the most important ones that most people don't even think of when they set those New Year's resolutions. Sometimes people think goals are kind of goofy. I, I'm one of those people. Uh, I I don't set goals as far as like I'm going to do this or this year. I'm going because I already know that about two weeks after the umption of let's get this done it wears off and I I just don't continue it anymore and so I don't write down goals like I should but it's important for spiritual goals that we set them in fact we see that Christ set goals who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross despising the shame Christ set a goal for the joy that was set before him. How was he able to endure the cross and get through things? It was because he knew what that goal was. And he knew that to reach this goal, I have to go through things. Matthew 4. You're there. I'm not there. Let me get there. We know this, this very well. Uh, uh, it's when Jesus is tempted by Satan. And uh, we'll, we'll go down to... 1 through 11, we'll start with verse 1. Then was Jesus led up of the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he was afterward hungered. And when the tempter came to him, he said, If thou be the Son of God, command that these stones be made bread. But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Again, the devil taketh him up into an exceeding high mountain and showeth him all the kingdoms of the world and the glory of them. And saith unto him, All these things will I give thee, if thou wilt fall down and worship me. Then saith Jesus unto him, Get thee hence, Satan, for it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. Then the devil leaveth him and behold, angels came and ministered unto him. Side note, if Satan has the audacity to go tempt the Son of God, Jesus, the perfect one, the preeminent one, don't be surprised when you get tempted. If if he takes shots at Christ, he's going to take a lot more shots at you and me. So, So don't be surprised by that. But We see his victory through this whole thing. We see how we see a a pattern of how to have victory in temptation. And the first thing is there in verse 1. Then was Jesus led up of the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. Jesus didn't just decide to go into the wilderness. The Bible says he was led up of the spirit. He was under direct uh, uh, leading by the Spirit of God to go into the wilderness. We too have to make our lives every day Spirit-led if we're going to have victory. Galatians 5.16 says, This I say then, walk in the Spirit and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. If we consider that Christ first to win over have victory over temptation is led by the spirit. We too have to be led by the spirit. We have to be filled. We have to be uh, uh, s- listening for that still small voice. The Bible says that He will not give us above uh, temptation above what we are able to uh, oh, wow, well, I'm not, this is bad that I, above what we are able to handle, and with it, make a way of escape. That way of escape doesn't mean a humongous big door. Sometimes it's a small crack in the wall, just big enough that you could fit through. But if you're not led by the Spirit, if you're not listening for that escape, you're not going to find it. You have to be looking for an escape. So he was led and filled with the Spirit. Look, the next thing we see, verse 2. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he was afterward a hungered. He prayed and fasted. Matthew 2 says that specifically. Without question, 40 days and 40 nights of fasting, uh, your physical body is pretty weak. Uh, I've tried to do more than a day, and my hands are shaking at that point. And I'm, I'm... hoping to just make it to bed so I can go to sleep to make that time even longer of fasting. But Jesus went through 40 days and 40 nights of sleeping. We we forget so often when we read through the gospels and we know it that Jesus is 100% man, 100% God, but so often when we read through the scriptures we forget that 100% man part. Oh yeah, he physically he was man and walking around and stuff. Jesus got tired. He got hungry. He sweated. He 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 got cold. Yes, he was all God, but he was all man at the same time. And can you imagine you and I get tempted after we're done eating lunch and fail? Can you imagine forty days and forty nights, the weakness of your body? What why do they say nothing is ever good to do after ten o'clock? Because you're at your weakest. Your mind's tired, sometimes you're hungry, sometimes you're full, but you're at your weakest point in throughout the day in the evening. So temptation automatically is going to happen, TV, whatever have you. And that's just our normal day to day. And Christ is here at forty days and forty nights. Pretty saying he's pretty weak at this point, but there's power that he has. That we can have through fasting and prayer. Uh, a Funny. Since pastor didn't give a joke. I'll, I'll fill his spot here. Uh, a funny uh, story. A pastor told his family he was going to fast. Uh, and, and pray about a certain situation coming up. And his five year old daughter Jenny. Uh, immediately said no you'll die if you fast. She, she had just learned in Sunday school on Sunday. That fasting means not eating. And as her father calmly and and jokingly and and tried to calm her down and explained to her that all throughout the Bible, men and women fasted and prayed through many different situations in the Bible. And she thought about it. And then with a tone of warning, she, she realized that, but they all died. Now, the Bible doesn't tell us to fast to the point of our bodies and physically Destroying ourselves. But it does say that there's power in fasting. Turn, you're there in Matthew 4. Turn to Matthew 17. There are some prayers, some prayer requests that require fervent prayer and fasting. And we see the, that example here in Matthew uh, chapter 17, starting in verse 19, a little before then. Uh, the disciples try to cast out a demon and were not able to. And so Jesus came in and was able to do that. And we pick it up in verse 19 of chapter 17. Then came the disciples to Jesus apart and said, Why could we not cast him out? And Jesus said unto them, Because of your unbelief, for verily I say unto you, If ye have faith as a grain of a mustard seed, ye shall ha- say unto this mountain, Remove hence to yonder place. And it shall remove, and nothing shall be impossible to unto you. Verse twenty-one. Howbeit this kind goeth not out, but by prayer and fasting. Side note: fasting doesn't mean you just decide I'm not going to eat today and fast, and you just do your life like you normally would do your day. Biblical fast—that's that's intermittent fast. That's for health reasons. That's for losing weight. That's for that those types of stuff. Biblical fasting is talking about, Lord, I I, I want to be closer to you than food or whatever you're giving up. I I want my relationship means more to me than any of this. And I'm going to give this up, not just continue my day, but I'm going to give this up and focus on my relationship with you. Pray more. If, If you don't, Pray more, read more, study more, talk to God more. In your fasting time, you're not biblically fasting. You're just trying to lose weight. The idea of I'm just going to fast and you go your day and day normal today and I just skip breakfast and lunch and dinner and at the end I go to bed and, all right, I've fasted. God will listen to me now. It meant nothing. You have to take something out and replace it with something. That's the point of biblical fasting is we, we replace our food or what have you with time with God. That's what biblical fasting is and, and that's what we need to do if we're going to get victory through the temptations. You know there's, there's the Bible says, the sin that so easily besets us. There's a sin, each and every one of us has a sin that's very difficult for us, always comes up and trips us up. How do you get victory over it? You're first led by the Spirit and filled and, and day-to-day with the Spirit. Secondly, you have to pray and fast through it. That's how you'll get through that victory. That's how you get through that trial. And the last and most important thing we see there in Matt. sorry, Go back to chapter 4, verse 3. Then when the tempter came to him, he said, If thou be the Son of God, command that these stones be made bread. But he answered and said, It is written. Satan tempted Christ with all these different things, and Jesus re- re- responded with Scripture. Now, interesting, did he, all, he was tempted three times that we have in this account. Three, three temps that Satan gave him. Did Jesus use the same? John 3.16, because that's the only one I know. No. There were different verses that Christ used. And in that whole idea, Ephesians 6.17 says, take and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. As a Christian, you're, you're a soldier. You, you are to have the armor of God. You have, and you have your, your, your whole helmet of salvation. You have your breastplate of life, righteousness. You have your shield of faith. And all those things matter and everything. But without a sword? What good is a soldier in battle? Without a weapon, yeah, we might be able to defend ourselves or defend somebody. But a good defense is a strong offense. Without the word of God in you, what sword do you have? Uh, uh, Psalms 119, verse 9, Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed thereto according to thy word. With my whole heart have I sought thee. Oh, let me not wander from thy commandments. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not... Sin against thee. How do you win temptation? It's with a sword. What happens if and when, I should say, this country says this is not allowed? You're not allowed to own this. You're not allowed to have it. You're not allowed to buy it. You're not allowed looking it up on the internet. You can't have the app on your phone. How many of us are going to have a sharp sword without this? Me included. How, how much of this do you have in here and in here that you're able to go, I can f- still fight with or without a physical copy of this. I can still fight this battle. Sadly, I don't think a lot of us would have very much ammunition. It doesn't say that, that I, I think of it, you know, it, it calls it a sword, I think of it as versus as arrows How how much ammunition do you have to shoot at the enemy? How much ammunition do you have hidden in your heart to fight? That's why Pastor made that memorization book, to help. Yeah, yeah, does it look nice, and does it sound good, and, and is it really helpful? Yeah, but it's so we as Christians have something to fight with. And i got to move. Uh, last thing, real quick, is consider his passion. There, there was a reason why Christ did what he did. And the first thing was to glorify his Father. Above all, he wanted to glorify his Father in everything. In everything he did here on earth, he wanted him to have uh, the glory. Uh, John 17, uh, 1, these words spake Jesus and lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour is come, glorify thy son and thy son also, that thy son also may glorify thee. Skip down to verse 5, And now, O Father, glorify thou me with thine own self, with the glory which I have had with thee before the world was. His whole point in doing it was to give glory to his Father. The next thing was, obviously, Christ died on the cross for our sins. His whole point also was to redeem the world. Hebrews 12, 2, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, go all the way down to the, uh, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. That phrase, set before him, teaches us that it was appointed to him to do this. Before the world became... God the Father and God the Son put this plan into motion that they knew they were going to have to send Christ to die for our sins. Uh, Well, no, I've got to skip a whole bunch. Um, That's the problem with doing it the first time. Your first session, time goes. Uh, We'll end it with this illustration. A little boy named Tom built a little sailboat and he, man, he was proud of that sailboat. Did everything. Painted it, built it, put the sails on, ran all the string and the thread and everything. And he loved He took it out everywhere he went to see it sail. I mean, that's the point of the sailboat, to watch it sail. And he would go, in, I mean, if there was a puddle, he'd put it in the puddle just to watch it float. And one day, he put it in a river, and he was watching it go and, and pulling on the string. And unfortunately, a current caught it. And off it went and before he could get down to grab it it was gone and sadly he, he went through the idea of he's never going to see this boat again he spent so much time and money and everything on making this boat and sadly it's gone now and went home a couple of days later he saw an interesting boat in a m- window at a shop ran inside and looked it over and sure enough that was his boat and he ran to the, the manager and, and said, sir, do, that is that boat in the window? That's mine. I lost it a couple days ago. Can I have it? And the manager said, sorry. Uh, you'll have to pay for that boat. And Tom, Tom looked down and he ran home and cracked his penny jar open and counted as much money. He just didn't have enough. So he asked his mom, can I, can I do some more chores and make some more money and His mom understood the whole thing, and so she allowed him to do that. And soon enough, he he had enough money, and as soon as he had it, he ran back to that store, praying the whole way, please be in the window, please. And he got there, and it was still there, and he went, paid the man the money, and got his boat back. And as soon as he got that boat back, he hugged that boat. And he says, now you're mine twice. First, I made you, and now I bought you. And that's exactly what Christ did for us. He made every single person, but he paid for everyone too. And it's important that we're not just owned by Christ once. We need to be owned by Christ twice, by being made of him and being bought by his blood. Throughout this week, consider Christ for all the voices and the the different things that you're going to deal with throughout this week. Consider his position. He is God and his ways and works are perfect. Consider his pattern how to get victory over temptation. And last was consider his pa- passion. Is your passion throughout the day to glorify the Father? Is our is our passion and the point of our day to see souls come to to know Christ, to be bought by him, to be his twice? Let's consider Christ, and we'll get done before I get called uh, Pharaoh again for holding his people too long. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, thank you so much for this morning, for uh, being able to go through your word, oh, Lord, to, to consider you, uh, as small as it sounds, uh, but how important it is for our daily life to keep you in a, the forefront, keep you, as David says, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. I, I pray that we be able to uh, hold off what the world has, uh, to consider you and to have you in the preeminent spot in our lives. I pray that you be with Pastor Phil with your spirit and give us uh, exactly what each and every one of us need for uh, today from your word. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. You're dismissed.